Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Oh, hi, hello, and welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am that host of yours, that woman who likes to use the word hecaton kairis as much as possible because it's too good. I- I'm live. Well, well, well. If I'm not here with a conversation not only about monsters, but quite specifically about volcanic monsters, <sighs> sure, we talk all. Greek mythological monsters, but we focused on the volcanic ones and volcanoes broadly because they are super cool. And I got back from Santorini last month and I'm so full of volcano content. I just had to let it all out. I spoke with Jasmine Elmer, a classicist who has her own podcast, Legit Classics, and who appears on UK television to talk all things ancient, though I think usually Rome, which don't worry, we do have a fun little squabble about because you all know how much I prefer the Greek. (laughs) 
Now, Jasmine and I were pre-existing friends on Twitter and are both super casual people, which I think really comes out in this episode. It's seriously fun, a little rambly, but in a good volcanic sort of way. So you don't have any reason to complain. Plus, monsters, spooky season, the whole thing. We had so much fun. Conversations, the monstrously volcanic breath of the chimera, monster myths with Jasmine Elmer. So today we're talking about monsters. So tell me why monsters were like the topic you suggested and who is your favorite or what do you want to rant about? (laughs) Oh my God. How long we got? I mean, why (laughs) monsters? That's such a, do you know what? I mean, actually I'm going to come at this at an angle. I don't think you, you, people will expect, but it's not going to make much sense, but bear with me. I have always loved geography. I know you're like, why are you doing classics? But I've loved geography. Um, and I love the natural worlds. I love particularly hazard geography, right? So when I was looking at classics from the point of view of geography, I was thinking, what can I, what's going to be cool? What's going to be interesting? So I thought, what's one of the best things on the landscape? I thought volcanoes. They're yep. wicked. I mean, we haven't, yep. I'm from East London, you know, there's no, we don't have them knocking around our landscape and there's none in England, but there's, I've always been fascinated by them. And I thought, why don't I combine this fascination with what the chuffing hell? Chuffing hell was a very British thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, what the hell? <laughs> I don't know if you know these words. But <laughs> um, what what about when I take something completely insane that I'm interested in, like volcanoes, and see where, the, where it crosses over with classics? And that's when, when the monsters appeared. Because I know you've already spoken to people about volcanic monsters. Um, but that's where it came from. And I thought monsters are actually cool and they mean loads more than I thought and it I went down that rabbit hole and I'm still in it and I'm not coming out (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you I don't blame I volcanoes are a huge thing for me my sister is obsessed with volcanoes uh and so actually like we I, I just recently came back from a trip to Greece where I brought my mom and my sister for the first time well for the first time since 2005 uh so I'm counting it as the first time but we went specifically looking for volcanoes. So we stayed on the island of Milos and then Santorini mm-hmm. for the volcanic purposes. And my mom really needed to see Santorini. But honestly, I mean, that's all to say. Volcanoes are just the absolute coolest things in the whole world. And the fact that they would link them up to monsters is just the best. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to live. You know, I've been doing classics for 22 years, right? So I'd come at it from the point of view as well of just like, doing a lot of like wide classical study, all sorts of different things, kind of pivoting to all these different areas of the classical world. Then I just thought, what did that person think standing on the ground in, let's make up a date, I don't know, 100 BC. 400 BC. Whatever you like. Make up, you want to go. Okay, you don't don't (laughs) want that. Is it too late for you? I knew this was going to happen. There was going to be like a Roman Greek (laughs) off at some point. But anyway, um, whatever date Liv wants, because it's Liv's podcast, we'll pick Liv's date. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking, what, what are they? They're standing there. What are they thinking? 
like you know what on a what a weird thing to be living around anyway for anyone that lives in and around a volcano today what an odd relationship you must have with your your landscape but what is that person thinking standing there trying to figure out what is going on with this mountain and what's gonna make it angry what's gonna subdue it or what have you you know I just find that really interesting and that's kind of I mean obviously we can't know the answer to that it's a completely ridiculous waste of time to try and do that but by looking at all the different you know (laughs) looking at all the different um sources on all of this you can maybe start piecing together a bit of a picture and that's kind of why I love the volcanoes yeah it's the constant threat live I mean maybe maybe it says something about who I am but like if you're living (laughs) under the shadow of that that's like an impending and it's that again it's that thing that gives you it gives you fertility in the soil it gives you a chance to grow great crops and all these things that we know but also it could destroy you any second as we know happened in various parts of history so is that does that make me a weirdo not at all I'm listening back to it now (laughs) thinking that makes me sound like a weirdo I mean I grew up on the ring of fire uh you know like yeah (laughs) I've I have lived on it uh most of my life on and off uh but and to explain that to the listeners who don't know what that is uh it's that really awesome ring that goes from all along the pacific side of north america and some of south america i imagine loops right around to the cross across the pacific and just means that we have volcanoes and earthquakes and one day specifically where i live one earthquake is going to hit and it's all going to be over. And we all just kind of live with that knowledge. And every once in a while, an article comes out that like talks about it. And then people from the East Coast come at us like, oh, my God, did you hear about this? Are you scared? And I'm like, this has literally been a thing I have learned from a very young age. Just like, but isn't that, okay, I mean, that's, for us. I'm, I'm worried for you. And I'm worried for you because I'm some, I live I'm from obviously the UK and I live in Devon in the UK now. That I mean, that what can get us here? I mean. I might slip on a cow pat and that might hurt me. But basically the threat of na- of the natural landscape here is is not as great. No, and then I'm fascinated by the threat of volcanoes, whereas you're like, meh, you know, whatever, or well, volcanoes <laughs> or earthquakes. So I kind of, it's it's the unknown, isn't it? And that's what monsters, that's the thing about the monsters, right? Because so much of it is human psychology, fear of the unknown, fear of the other. So I'm perhaps more afraid of it than you might be because you, it's something you've been... Well, I'm not saying you're like, whoop-de-doo, there's an earthquake, but you're like, maybe you can, oh, I maybe mean, the tension just... isn't as, as much for you than it is for yeah. me. I don't know, because I'm... I'm fascinated by them, but yeah, I'm not I'm not afraid of them. But like, one of my favorite things, and we will get to monsters, but this is just fun now, but one of my favorite things is when <laughs> somebody moves out here who's from like the East Coast. Like I had a friend who moved out here and she's from Ontario and and we're just chatting and she at some point it came up she's like did you we we had an earthquake last night did you hear about that oh my god and I was like yeah dude we have like two a week she was like oh like it it absolutely blew her mind but like where we live on the Pacific Northwest specifically but I don't I don't at least the very least around my island there are like one to two earthquakes a week and they're tiny you don't feel them but they happen all the time and then you find out about that and it's like suddenly oh my god or another of my friends moved out here and then there was an earthquake out across or no it was the that volcanic eruption i think in tonga um and that sent a tsunami warning she was like oh my god you, there's a tsunami are you close to the water are you afraid? And it's like 
Again, those <laughs> happen all the time. What I actually did was go down closer to the water so I could see the waves and they were boring and I was disappointed. And that's what <laughs> happens when we get a tsunami warning when you are from here. Um, and so anyway, these, these are the things I think you do adapt. And But that's probably deeply relevant to the ancient world too. Like like having now been to Santorini and to Akrotiri, which is was like life achievement unlocked. Um, mm. One of the coolest things about Akrotiri, which is of course the the bronze age town on on santorini that got preserved by the volcanic eruption of thera is that there were a ton of earthquakes there and that like destroyed the city and they just kept rebuilding it and the Mm. final time the big eruption they were so prepared and they had done it all so many times that not a single body has been found so they just handled it and they got off the island and they probably all went to Crete and, you know, became refugees down there, which happened with, uh, all around the Mediterranean at that time. But like we're talking 16th or 1600s BCE, like going on 4000 years ago. And these people were so prepared for an earthquake, so prepared for a volcanic eruption that they that nobody died and there haven't even been found animal remains. So they also got like their livestock off the island in time. And granted, like not all has been, you know, um, excavated and everything. But the amount of that town that they have that not a single bit of human or animal remains has been found from that volcanic eruption is incredible. So I think it does say to the psychology of people, like how much you do become used to it and you become prepared and you just like you just handle your shit and you just do what needs to be done. And whether it's like there's a monster in your mountain or, or a volcano, like you just get it done. Yeah. I love what you're saying, but I'm also just thinking about going, you know, now we're actually going to talk about classics for a moment. You know, (laughs) the, the fact, the fact that these monsters have to symbolize a kind of perpetual threat or Mm -hmm. they're, that's one of the elements, right. Of, of being a monster, you know, like, I know that someone spoke before about Cohen's monster thesis before on here, but you know, like one element of monster stories has to be that you can't, you can't vanquish it. It's not, you're not going to beat it forever. It's going to, it's going to come back again. It's going to morph because otherwise you conquer that fear or that anxiety forever and you Mm -hmm. lose it. Um, So when you're talking about things like, well, obviously we need to talk about the ones that relate to monsters because not every single story about volcanoes or earthquakes will relate directly to a monster even though a lot of them do it has to be perpetual and that's where volcanoes i particularly found fascinating because they're visible on the landscape they're always there and a lot of them are active you know i'm thinking particularly of the ones in southern italy and then don't mm-hmm. worry about it i won't go too roman on you before you freak out but you know like italy was greek be- it's fine <laughs> yeah, um, but just because <laughs> just because there's so many rich sources about the volcanoes of southern italy that you know that the if if we ever were able if human beings were genuinely what you said and they became okay with it then i don't think these monster stories would exist as they do today so i i'm not saying i'm not saying i d- disagree with you but i think there those are those are interesting different views because you are right that i'm sure on one hand ancients are living around these volcanoes benefiting from them perhaps mm-hmm. um they have to be okay with that but at the same time, there is the perpetual threat. So in that already, is the, 
in the middle of all of that is the tension and in fact is the monster in some ways because that is the exact tension between the two things and mm-hmm. it's it's that where the anxiety is right it's like but I kind of need you volcano and you kind of provide crops and all sorts of things to me but also you can kill me and that in that middle ground is that that tension so and to me that's where the monster is sort mm-hmm. of in that little gap between the two things that you that you highlighted and what I highlighted so well but I also think there's a difference between being okay with something and being prepared for it so I'm not saying that they wouldn't Mm -hmm. have been terrified and anxious like I think I think both of our points are are true of just like there was all of that monstrous tension like there was the monster but they also just had seen it happen before and so they were just ready for it it's almost like they were ready for Typhon to blow his lid, you know, and and spew yeah, hot ash, yeah, yeah. it doesn't make it yeah. not a, a monster anxiety or a monster idea. Just more that they were like, okay, this has happened before. Like, I think it more just speaks to their resilience in the face of that, you know. Like, they just became prepared. They were smart enough to see the pattern, ver- and still like have that anxiety to to deal with. But they just yeah. were able to be like, okay, it's going to happen again. Like, let's get out kind of thing, you know? Yeah, no, no, I, I get what you're saying. So are you trying to say that in some ways they almost utilize that knowledge in a, practi- in a practical, pragmatic way to also ensure their own safety? Yeah. Um, like, I don't think it means there wasn't to a feeling the tension. Idea. Exactly. They yeah, just were able I to also you. be like, we have to get off the island, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't mean to imply <laughs> that they're like so silly that they're standing there going, ooh. You know, they're still people with... With with they well, they want to survive with survival instinct. Yeah. So you know, volcano goes off. I, mean, I don't know. Pompeii didn't scene? do what's so well. <laughs> what's that movie? Twenty twelve, where the, oh, yeah. oh, what's the actor called? Where he stands there and he watches Yellowstone go up. You know, oh yeah, John Cusack. Or no, oh, no, it's the one. No, Woody what's Harrelson he called? Does that. Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Thank you. Because um, he's like, I want to see the show, and yeah. I always like to imagine that someone might have done that. I don't know, like. Uh, Vesuvius I don't know probably not the nicest thing to say but you know well you just think, I mean it feels like it's Pliny such a the elder you just said me. that you re- <laughs> yeah <laughs> well yeah maybe that's what it was all about I um, mean because he was so I interested just, in all of it he just got too close <laughs> that's I'm uh, really annoyed that we've only just had this I, so I was on uh, channel four talking about Pliny the elder um very recently I really wish we'd have had this chat before because <laughs> I just added a little bit at the end which was like oh yeah here's all the archaeology blah 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 but maybe he just fancied a little look at it and wanted to get closer and it didn't work out well actually it's <laughs> decent though isn't it because it is it's, it's just you just said that you know you wanted to run down to the shore to look at the tsunami going on and you were disappointed there's something <laughs> in like it but that is looking at the monstrous isn't it as well like you know mm-hmm. you're gazing at it in some ways because these spectacles are so you know there's that it's that notion you know like when we look at psychology of pleasure and pain simultaneously being an element of the human psyche that we we kind of need and that's what is inherent in monster myth as well so we want to look at the monstrous and it's painful and difficult but we derive some kind of pleasure from that process as well I mean obviously that's why we watch horror movies and whatever else you're into um so that's part of this as well, isn't it? You know, that's kind of why you ran down to the sea to look at the tsunami because you're like, I want to see this thing and it's it's terrifying. But also, you know, I'm kind of enjoying that at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's why we like disaster movies, right? Like, I love the movie 2012. Mm. Is it a great film? No. Is it an entertaining 
piece of, you know, or entertainment, you know, that has all of these like disaster elements. Like, yeah, I love volcano movies, all that. Would I want to be in a volcano? Oh my God, no. Those are horrifying. But I will watch the Tommy Lee Jones movie Volcano forever. Yeah, because me too. it's great. I love yeah. Dante's Peak. That's a winner. Dante's Peak is great, but I really stand by Volcano. I think there's something about Tommy Lee Jones versus um oh, what's his name? Why oh, can't I think of him in Dante's Peak? Oh, Pierce Brosnan. Thank you. I was gonna say James Sorry. Bond, but that was also a 007. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Never if they don't know it, then they have to Google it. That's yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm an old millennial I'm really hard, but I, yeah I haven't got any I'm trying guys but I've only just joined TikTok I can't I can't I can't be trusted for these like really modern references I'll do my best I'm always no, ready to I, learn I, I mean I, I'm trying to do TikTok right now and I have never felt older in my whole life <laughs> no way I think I've got like I mean I doubled my followers in a day because I had like oh. four and then I got like eight so what I would suggest is starting low and then making big claims like that and then not hoping no one checks it. Um, but yeah. Uh, oh, we got off on a tangent. Monsters. But I mean, volcanoes are more, interesting more in themselves. Monsters. This episode is all about that. Um, but so, <laughs> like, I'm curious how much of that feeds into Rome because so much of, I mean, obviously what I know is Greek mythology. But yes. so what's interesting to me is, like, I know the the only surviving source we have for say the gigantomachy which i think is an is a really good volcanic specific mm-hmm. story of monsters but the only surviving source we have really is is pseudo apollodorus so that's a person who's like greek but writing during the roman period and so and and he really specifically sets the whole gigantomachy in sicily to explain the volcanic you know goings on down there but did rome have their own stories of monsters and everything for for that region yeah i mean they do um i mean obviously a lot of it is is a continuation of what you see mm-hmm. from the greek tradition um but yeah there are i mean roman authors talk about the same things uh regularly but i think i think the texts are interesting there are plenty of you know virgil will talk about it you know ovid will but I think that one of the areas that really interests me is a kind of the, the Roman, I guess I wouldn't call it a trend because that makes it sound too, like it's purposeful or something, but the tendency perhaps of Romans to try and rationalise Greek mm. mythology. And that's mm. probably a bit of a new new strand of interest in, in, in this. So less of the, I guess, the, I guess, lyrical, poetic exploration of mythology that you're going to get from the Greek tradition, although that is absolutely happening through Roman poets like Ovid. Uh, but at the same time, I think that people like Strabo or or Pliny the Elder that are like rationalising things, I find them mm-hmm. particularly interesting. So taking like the myth of Typhon or, you know, one, one person I haven't talked about is the Chimera, who is like, mm. you, you asked me at the very beginning, who is my favourite monster? Um, mm-hmm. Me like, too. My favorite, because what the hell is going on with that? Exactly. <laughs> with with yep. a quote on the back. Don't no, even get chimera. it. Never will. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wrote my master's dissertation on the chimera, and I still have ah. not come across a reasonable explanation for why the chuffy now there's a goat on its back. <laughs> they breathe I fire. It breathes it's fire. Weird. I know. But what I really like the idea of is someone just sitting there just one day thinking, I oh, know what I'm going to do. I'm going to just create this thing and then sort of make it go ancient viral. And look now, we're looking at it now, trying to analyse it all seriously, but it's just someone sitting on a rock 
in Athens or wherever, just making this up. Um, anyway, so you, I went off point again. But, you know, so I think those are the texts that interest me the most, I think, because it's about how those texts, like Pliny the Elder, um, Strabo, how they try to, I guess... Like they're trying to own those myths in a different way by rationalizing them. And that, you know, there's a Roman tendency for that stuff anyway, right? You know, they, they kind of want to be logical and rational a little bit more perhaps than the Greeks do in terms of mythology. I mean, that's a horrible generalization. So, you know, let's not no, worry but about it, that too much. But no, it's, a, it's certainly in the volcanic stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, if you have to label the two in that way, that it really does track because so much is sort of basing itself on Greek myths, but you're right. Like, mm-hmm is adding these rationalizing elements, but also even just somebody like Ovid, you know, in Metamorphoses, for instance, is like writing explicitly, like, you know, 90% Greek myths, but he's writing them so intentionally that it, it completely like is a departure from the original or the traditional Greek sources, which were not being written to tell a story. They were being written to like, you know, oral storytelling. I won't get, I won't, I always go off on those tangents, but but just basically like the differences between the oral tradition in Greece to like say Ovid intentionally writing metamorphoses is that sort of a bit of a rationalizing element as well. You know, just that kind of yeah, the, the is, two ways is. in which they did it. Anyway, now yeah. I'm just rambling off, but, but no, yeah, no, that's but you're really right, interesting. You're right. And I think that, you know, I think that's a really important, like you, like you say, I guess I keep wanting to use trend is not the right word. What do I want? I guess a trait perhaps is a better word that, mm. uh, of the Romans to, to want to do that a little bit more. I don't. I mean, why is a good question. Maybe. I mean, it's not like the Greeks did not have logical thought or wanted to try and understand the world. I mean, what what is philosophy yeah. if it isn't that? But I wonder why. You know, I guess I know we. There's always this mad generalization, is it, about the Romans? They're the ones that build stuff, and they're the engineers, and they're all of that. And then the Greeks are the thinkers. But I wonder. I wonder, kind of, why we see that trend towards towards this rationalization in general when it comes to volcanic. Giants. I was just thinking you asked me like specifics as well. So um Enceladus is like much more of a almost like adopted a little bit more as as the as the the giant, the the, the kind of creature that's underneath um Etna. Right. And that's quite interesting. Um, because you know, kind of like not like a transference away from uh Typhon, because he's also mentioned in other texts, but we have that there. And I wonder, like, you know, sometimes I feel like the Romans might take something and try to create their own narrative to make it mm-hmm. more specifically Roman. But I don't think, I mean, you 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 might know a bit more about this than I do, but I'm not sure that Enceladus actually takes much of a, a role in, in Greek mythology. I don't know how often... Um, no. Do you, know, do you know how often, like, he pops up and stuff? Because I... But, you know, ultimately as well... It, would we say that he is monstrous? I mean, is as far as I'm aware, is he not just, you know, kind of a giant? Um, yeah. I mean, is he a monster then? Is a giant a monster? Because I wouldn't, I guess for me, a monster is something, I always want to chuck a snake in there or something, but you know, it feels like <laughs> it's a composite of something else. I don't know, like, is just a giant with no extra features a monster? I mean, that's a good question. I don't know. I've asked five questions. I'm, I'll be quiet now. No, I love it. <laughs> I I was curious, and no, you're right. He doesn't appear before like Callimachus. Mm. So Callimachus is Hellenistic, but um, he obviously would have had like a much closer 
relationship with the Romans just existing than than anyone before. So yeah, there's no one earlier than Callimachus, which is fascinating because he's so late. But it's like yeah. So again, this is just more evidence for this guy sitting on the rock that's going. I'm gonna yeah. Up. <laughs> like I know. Like I don't think it's Typhon under there. Like I think it's a new guy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's invent yeah. a new. I wonder, one. What's the etymology? Let's. If you don't know, oh, yeah. I don't know. If you ha- how's your Greek? I mean, I don't have a lot it's of Greek, not. so my Greek's not great. No, I don't have any Greek, but no. Theoi.com is my life source, and it. Oh means, yeah, ditto. Don't worry. Yeah, it says it that the translation is "sound the charge." which is interesting to urge on it's from the greek i'm a bit of a fan i'm a bit of a fan of um looking at the etymology i I like to oh yeah utterly unsubstantiated claims (laughs) don't worry anyone listening to me i'm very clear when it's something that i can't really prove academically so don't 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 think oh my god she just like lied to me i'm not (laughs) (laughs) this show is my girl's podcast i'm not going there i'm gonna learn nothing but the, the one i've got which is kind of my favorite thing at the moment is tell me what you think about this i'm gonna run it by you live tell me if this sounds good the cyclops another creature that we would associate with volcanoes for all sorts of reasons but largely as uh you know kind of metal workers related to hephaestos in the forge Mm -hmm. of the volcano that's kind of their tradition but cyclops means kind of like you know orbied Mm circle-eyed in the etymology so to me, I decided that maybe this is because uh, that's a very odd feature of 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 a, anything in myth to have like just one eye uh, mm-hmm. in the middle of the forehead. So I thought about this. And I decided that perhaps it's something to do with the fact that when you look at a volcano, you have uh, the shape of a volcano is this you know very circular crater kind of looking mm. thing, and it could look like an eye on the landscape. I totally get. That they're not flying around getting aerial views <laughs> yeah. of this before they anyone starts. <laughs> before the angry Twitter people come, go, uh, Jasmine, they're not <laughs> flying around on like EasyJet looking over. I know that. But if you've ever stood, which I have, um, on a crater of a volcano, you can perceive that shape from the ground. So it's not mm-hmm. completely insane. But I mean, what do you reckon? I mean, it sounds nice, doesn't it? Which is usually a sign that it's not true. But yeah, so <laughs> I have some insights into this. And oh, I don't do think you? Because means... okay, I've made yeah. that up. Maybe I'm not as well read as you. Go ahead. No, so I, I, I don't. I think maybe it's the opposite of what you're saying. So oh, my fun fact uh, is okay. that in traditional Greek sources, so you know, pre, I would say like classical Greece and earlier, mm-hmm. Hephaestus is not associated with volcanoes. Okay. He's just like a metal worker. So he doesn't actually have cy- that connection. Are the Cyclopes with him, though? At this they stage? are, and not in volcanoes. Uh, so where, yeah, where are so they then? They they just have a forge. So it's probably like in the earth. It might have some kind of like, uh, like more cave-like ideas. And maybe there's even some like uh, uh, other associations. And maybe it's also, you know, missing sources or whatever. But in terms of ancient greek classical and archaic and beyond sources mm-hmm. they don't have the volcanic associations he's not a god of volcanoes until later and i think that that's because mm. he's vulcan and so i actually think that the association with the volcanoes came from rome in a way that more often than not you know rome gets their associations from greek but in this yeah. case it's the opposite that's interesting Mm-hmm. I love it because I, I now, like the volcano stuff. I love so the Hephaestus connection was yes, a thing that I forget no, no. when I learned this, but it's really interesting. 
No, that sounds really cool. I'd love to kind of interrogate the sources a bit more as well to look at yeah. when they talk about, the, I mean, this is getting very nitty gritty now. So when these sources that you just mentioned speak about the forge, what mm-hmm. is the vocabulary around that? And how explicitly mm. is it not volcanic as well? You know, because I know I'd yeah. be like, what is a forge? I mean, you think about a forge, it's a hot place. There's molten metal and things, whatever. So while they might not explicitly name it, so I've got a few points. They might not explicitly name it, but insinuate it. I mean, we'd have to mm-hmm. detailed literary analysis to know if that's true. By the way, if anyone knows this and they're listening, mm-hmm. going, I know the answer, then tell us. Yeah, But, sure. you know, this would be the, the method to investigate this, right? You go and do that and look at the kind of analysis of it. Two, uh, the dating of the text that you mentioned will be really mm-hmm. interesting as well, because I know you've mentioned a broad period there, but could it be also that we are dealing with like, you know, post-Santorini eruption, I imagine, and, and then pre-kind of big um, Etnan eruptions and stuff. So we're in a bit of a time period where people perhaps don't have as much exp- personal experience of the volcanoes. Maybe maybe yeah. it's... So, so, so then, you know... And also the third point, I I mean, that's just an interesting point rather than any particular evaluation. But I guess the third point as well is um, the thing that I know you love about myth, I do too, is kind of, you know, new ownership of myth Mm. and adaptation of myth throughout the classical period. So um, none being an invalid viewpoint, really, because even if there is a canon of like, this is what normally happens. This is the actual generic story of this person. We know that the great thing about myth is you play with it, you mold it. It's like a piece of clay. You can make it mm-hmm. what you like. That's what made it cool and fun. And that, that's what also as, you know, I guess classicists, age historians, whatever you want to call yourself, you, you kind of are able then to glean information from that because you're looking at cultural responses, right? So that's enough points, but you get my mm-hmm. idea. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that, I think it is all of that. So ultimately I think a, a huge key part to this too, is that Greece broadly is not very volcanic italy Mm. southern italy is super volcanic and the the little portion of the cyclades that are volcanic are volcanic but Mm. in terms of volcanic eruptions that i know of and this isn't something i've done a whole ton of research about but um thera erupted but thera erupted in late bronze age right so yeah it's like I think it's about 1600, isn't it? The it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's 17th century sometimes. So Thera erupted sometime around then. And then we have the, you know, quote unquote, Bronze Age decline, that, that being not a decline, but a change. But essentially, there's like an enormous gap of time, right? Before the written works that survive to us today are actually being put to paper, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and so between that and the just general lack of volcanic activity in Greece, like I think that we're talking about the time period, and this is again, generalization. I don't know when Sicily became heavily Greek, but I do think it's like not early Iron Age, early Archaic, or like late Iron, early Iron Age, early Archaic, you know? So it's not the time when, say, Hesiod's work are coming around and Homer and all of that. And so we don't get these early associations with volcanoes because I don't think they had a lot of volcanic goings on. And so they didn't have like a reference point for say Hephaestus and the Cyclops being in a volcano because they didn't have volcanoes. Like mainland Greece is not very volcanic at all. Right. And so unless you're having these like really close associations with Thera or you're seeing it, but like, I don't, yeah. Cause we're, cause Thera is also, 
pretty far off too. So it's just like, it's sort of fascinating to see it that way. And then you can see when Sicily becomes heavily Greek, then you're getting these new associations with volcanoes because they're seeing volcanoes. And so that's might be around the time when this kind of conflation, like I actually think like Vulcan and Hephaestus weren't always the same quote unquote, I'm doing a lot of that, the same (laughs) God, you know, like I think that they probably had a volcanic God and then he ends up being associated with Hephaestus more closely. Like the, yeah, the volcano stuff to me seems to come from not necessarily Rome explicitly, but from that, that like growth of the Greek world into Italy and then maybe the the close relationship they developed with Rome. Yeah, no, I think I think I mean there's ob- there's obvious points to that because you know the like we said the, we've said already that the Romans are going to be more invested, I guess, in volcanoes because they live amongst them a little bit more. But then actually, what's interesting? So the Chimera, for example, mm-hmm. um, we we have rationalisation about that. Again, we're not talking about that being um, in the in the Greek period. That's in the Roman period. But that's really interesting because there's um, some some marks on the landscape that really sound like they've interpreted those. So it's like Pliny the Elder and Strabo that mention this. And they mention um, an area in Lycia, so, you know, Turkey, mm. that is called Mount Chimera or something like mm-hmm. around that. Um, and, you know, Pliny tells us that it sends forth flames at night and things like that. So, but there as well is, you know, it's, um, it's near the city-state of Hephaestium. So there's mm-hmm. a connection even there to it um, and the mountain range being on fire and stuff like that. But, but you know, like this is obviously much later again. So you, I'm, you're yeah. making the point that you're, you're, I'm making the same point really, I think. But also it's interesting that you're seeing, they're seeing things on the landscape because it's this region now, the, the Yenartus region in uh, Turkey. Now, not to, I'm sorry if I've mispronounced Turkish there to, to anyone that speaks Turkish, but it's this region that is like, it's like burnt and charred and it has these methane like flames that come up mm. and it's kind of crazy. If you Google it, it's really crazy. And that's, that's the landscape they're trying to describe. And that's where the chimera was supposed to have been like, you know, kind of besieging things and marauding and doing the weird fire thing out of the goat's mouth. Um, so you get that as well in Turkey. So I think that yeah. there is a, there is an association. It's not just Greece and Rome, but although, you know, I mean, obviously we can't even get into wider mythologies where there is so much about this in all sorts of different ancient cultures. But um, you're getting that a little bit in that region too. So no, I don't know, it's just so interesting. interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And Strab- Strabo says it's just, he doesn't actually say it's fiery, but I'll, I'll just take it anyway. But he... <laughs> I just I'll claim that for the team. I think he says that the Mount Chimera is just like a ravine, but it is I, I, alluding to the mountainous nature of it. But um, yeah. again, I can go off one of my crazy theories about why that might be the case. But I think I think we'll stop there with that. Well, <laughs> now I'm fascinated. I love I love the Chimera so much. So now I'm just looking into that area. Like I know that the whole story of the Chimera comes from the east, which I think has always been super cool. Um I think the the Chimera too though, like even based on this, it seems like they're less associating with the volcano and more like the volcanic happenings within the earth, but something that they're seeing and doesn't look like the same volcanoes they're used to. So they're more associating it with like a chimera's breath in an interesting way, or at least in the, like the more ancient sourcing. Cause I'm also, I'm curious, like when there's a temple of Hephaestus, 
and I'm curious when it was built, but I can't find that. But also when you first said it, I was wondering, but it seems like there is that Hephaestus specific reference, but I wonder if it's coming from like the Hellenistic period. Yeah. And you made that point that this is probably a later edition or Mm -hmm. certainly kind of, you know, collab, shall we call it? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Between these things. And I think, you know, that, I think that's probably, that's an interesting take on it. So yeah, um, I'm just so curious now too. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. anyway the monsters are just cool i mean they're mm-hmm. just cool i mean i've always loved them and it's not just volcanoes that make them cool it's other stuff so i'm i'm big into i mean it's let's let's just let's just get this spoiler alert straight away out there i'm going to be talking about human psychology and psychologists specifically and their take on it and okay. i'm doing it i i fully accept that very little of it is useful to us today <laughs> but i find it hilarious I find it hilarious to look at what Freud says about monsters. Oh, God. Okay. 
Yep. <laughs> you get me because it's it's so fun. Just anyone listening, do not take any of this as real, essentially. No. But have you ever read his essay, Medusa's Head? Oh, God, no, but I've it, heard of it. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's It's, it's so all about, like, he's got all the, that nonsensical ideas of her snake hair being, like, fear of castration or something like that right yeah like, you got you got it you got it yes it's like so i mean well, he wrote it in 1922 i think it's actually published after he died but whatever um and it's just complete i just don't know what he's thinking he's definitely a man just... sitting on a rock making stuff up for sure <laughs> um but yeah you, you're right i mean it's all about what is the symbolism of medusa yeah. the snakes and you know apparently it's a young boy that sees his mother's pubic hair um, oh my god yeah, it's, the, it's the snakes it's the snakes and and they're, they're all sorts of different symbolism of that but essentially it's this kind of like shock horror feeling that oh my god what if i didn't have a penis and it got and then obviously the beheading of medusa is the castration <laughs> and you know you just you kind of like you know it's just you just can't follow it it's completely insane it's like this I get like kind of odd dream that you think what's going on nightmare of what's going on so yes now I'm not saying we can take anything from that um, <laughs> but I kind of felt I kind of find it in terms of like classical reception maybe like mm. looking at um what's going on <laughs> with these psychologists <laughs> and I think you know okay that's the maddest example I've got but actually that you know there are there are a few things you can take from psychologists and I think you know that the biggest caveat with any of this is that they are often scientists. They might be anthropologists or psychologists and they love like essentially a kind of unifying theory. Mm-hmm. So wh- whereas we're like, you know, you spent a whole career deep diving into the nuances of myth and you're going to continue doing that. You can, you can go to your die because there's so much nuance and you can't just go, oh, well, all Romans were this. Bye. Because what's the point of that? You know, so that's what I find really interesting about this, you know, that, that, that's what the caveat is with these, these psychologists, because they want to do that. They want these theories that go, oh, all cultures do this and all monsters mean this in mythology. But then there are some interesting, there's some interesting stuff about, and actually Aristotle says it, about how mon- monstrous myths need to happen because we need a way of purging our fears to avoid us having antisocial tendencies. And I thought you would love this because it's going back to very early societies and the need for human beings to conform and, and come together in a, in a way of, beha- you know, kind of a, I guess, a manner of how we behave as a civilization, as a group of people, mm-hmm. as an organization almost of people. So we need these monsters as a way to, to, to purge the fears in our stories, in whatever we want to do so that we don't take them out on each other. And I don't know what you think to that. And there's a few, you know, Aristotle says it, but there, you know, there's a few, I guess, uh, little bits and pieces throughout time, different uh, psychologists, either modern or ancient, the kind of, not ancient psychologists, but ancient thinkers that mm-hmm. say that sort of thing. But I don't know what your, what your take on that is. What do you think about that as sort of tension of I early mean, society? Yeah, it, it makes sense. It certainly makes more sense than Freud's nonsensical musings about <laughs> Greek myth. But it's fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, all I could think of when you were first saying that is is the Oedipus of it all. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Because, like, I, I just I'll never get over the fact that, like, the entire modern understanding of, like, the Oedipus myth and Oedipal complex or whatever based around F- Freud is, like, based on a willful misunderstanding of that play. 
It's like, it's like he had to read the play and be like, okay, cool. I'm going to completely invent a new, a new plot point, And I'm going to base an entire theory on that plot point, which is that somehow Oedipus knew that it was his mother. And I, anyway, I, I it's just, just I what I don't get Liv is like, how did he get any airtime Freud? Why didn't someone go, all right, off you go. Yeah. I heard we had to say, no, thanks. Like what is it about this blood? You, you know, it, you know, it's the time when these, you know, these kind of old white men get this. this yeah. You can All say what you want. And we're going to say it's fine. Like, yep. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Cause it just, I don't, we all know like, you know, evidence-based things. And I know, I guess it's highly, I'm look, I'm not a psychologist. I understand it's theoretical and these are takes on perhaps um, expressions of human behavior, but come on. I just don't get how that guy got any airtime. No. So I get no. you. Yeah, the Oedipus yeah. thing's mad as well. Completely mad. Oh, and then there's like the, uh, there's an Electra complex too, right? I forget what yes, that one is. Yes, there is. Like murdering your mother or something. Lord. I mean, anyway, he, it, I think he yeah. just had a lot of issues with his parents and he took them all out on us <laughs> for the next hundred years. <laughs> and he decided to use classics as much as possible. Exactly. Um, he just decided to be like, a hundred years from now, people are going to be really mad at me for the bullshit that I'm spewing. Ha ha. Enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Do you like looking at things like that that are obviously a load of rubbish, but looking at what they really kind of tell us about, I guess, the continuing relationship? Well, if we're going back to monsters for a minute, like, you know, kind of how mm-hmm. how our interaction with monsters are evolving over time. So he, here we have that trend in the 20th century of looking at monsters of mythology, world mythology, not just classical, mm-hmm. and like trying to reevaluate them f- for a new take on it. And what they express about who we are and the monster in us. I mean, well, yeah, I just, mean, even if the stuff is mad, even if the conclusions are mad, that on its own as a movement is interesting to look at and how it's impacted us today. Yeah, it just makes me think of Medusa today, right? And like all the different forms that she takes in our society today. Like there, there is su- such a juxtaposition of like, angry dudes on the internet who see Medusa as some kind of like evil like force that had to be destroyed in order to you know alleviate some kind of pressure on the world which is basically a paraphrase of some nonsense thing that a guy once spewed to me on Twitter and then we have her yeah yeah they're ridiculous and then that's compared to (laughs) angry white men (laughs) It's all right, they're um, not listening to this. So they're, <laughs> they're not, not coming they're from not. us. No, it's all good. No. Uh, but yeah, but compared to the the Medusa of like the feminist movement or the Me Too movement and now Medusa, mm. Medusa has now come to symbolize a survivor of assault to such a degree that like, so I have a Medusa tattoo because I love Medusa and I love classics and obviously- Can I see like, it or is it somewhere I'm not allowed to no, see No, it? it's on my thigh. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's in, yeah we're not doing that today but no it, it's it's enormous <laughs> it's not that kind of podcast <laughs> but i posted pictures of it fairly recently oh, okay. um on, on instagram and and i post i posted two different pictures and two different times somebody commented and made an assumption that because i have a medusa tattoo i am telling the world that i'm a survivor of assault and like I'm not saying that I haven't had my own experiences as women. We basically all have our own, you know, varied experiences mm-hmm. in different ways, but, mm-hmm. but like, that's not why I got a Medusa tattoo. I got a Medusa tattoo because I fucking love Medusa, but she has become yeah. this emblem mm-hmm. to such a degree that like 
And even somebody actually recently messaged me and said like, hey, it was a guy. And he was like, hey, I, I want to get a Medusa tattoo. But my friend said that would be disrespectful because it symbolizes survival of assault. And it's just okay. to me, it's like, I think that's great that she symbolizes that for people. I think mm. it's bad if we are making assumptions that like, that is now all she sim- symbolizes. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah she's come I like mean, full circle and to be like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's really interesting this actually because I'm, I'm working on something at the moment that is about um, essentially the unheard voices of women that have mm. experienced um, any kind of... Yeah, I saw your post on sexual Twitter. abuse. Yeah, so this is this is something I'm working on. It's something... I'm new to it. So this... I'm, I mean, I'm not new to it in life, um, mm-hmm. as in I, I know of, of, it, of, of this in my life, but um, I'm not somebody that I can say has experienced it directly in the same way that you, you mentioned earlier on. But, you know, I think... I think that we... We owe it to these mythical figures to get to get to the nuance of them. So mm-hmm. if that if that means something to someone, then great. You ha- mm-hmm. you own it as you wish. Take that symbol, use it as you wish. But I think it's important that we have that like plurality of of her story too. So you know, if a guy wants to get Medusa tattooed on him and his intentions are not ill, <laughs> yeah, you know, he's doing that for reasons like no, like if the reasons are good. Like I I I I love her. I find the story interesting. Whatever it might be, fine. And I do I do think you know that in some yeah, this is a difficult thing to say because you know I'm pro anything that makes anyone feel better, empowered especially mm-hmm. women that's what I'm all about but at the same time you don't want to take it so far that it almost becomes a weaponized type thing weaponized is a very strong yeah. word to use but I guess I guess something like that um, and also like the whole reading into you getting that like that's just no one's business yeah. anyway like that, that's up to you like you can do what you want that's your body if you want to get Medusa like to, and don't infer that it's no one's business what meaning that has that's your personal choice to do that that's your business like no one should be commenting. I mean, unless they're commenting like, oh, that's wicked. Uh, I guess, I guess, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing you should, I mean, wicked in, we say wicked a lot. That means really good. No, right? yeah. Does that mean, <laughs> okay, good. No, like wicked, like wicked witch. I'm like, oh my God, have I just said something awful in Canada and all the Canadians are going to cancel me. Um, that is in North America too. You're good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, it's fascinating what you say. I mean, this is what the th- this is another reason going back to like full circle almost on why I like monsters because I do think although we can draw out these these like general ideas like we talked about volcanoes or we can talk about elements of the human psyche that we see in these stories but really what you personally find monstrous is different to everyone else and what I personally find monstrous is different to everyone else and there might be some overlap we did a Venn diagram or whatever it's called what is that the one with the overlap I think that's yeah. the one isn't it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, we all find some overlap, and I think you know that's where we, as I guess um, ancient historians or whatever you, you like to call yourself, it's in the overlap that we an- analyze. I think, but just just being a person, monsters mean something to me. Like I've got a thing. The thing that I'm terrified of is aliens. So like, but then a friend of mine's like, I can't watch a ghost film. Like she'll mm. just run and she can't cope. She like starts shaking because that's her thing. You know, um, I still don't understand the people that like Squid Game, like Blood and Gore. I can't no, get to I'm that. Are you one of them? Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, no, that's that. But do you get my? But that's. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. know why. They, I don't. I mean, I, I'm questioning why they're watching it in the first place. But if they're watching <laughs> it for the horror bit, that we, you know, like they like to be afraid of it. 
I don't know. I find that that gore, that saw, all that kind of horror. Yeah. I find that difficult. But, you know, that's why I like monsters. They're, they're adaptable. And I think, you know, they shape shift and they do different things in different times to different people in different contexts. And that's why they'll always be our monsters, even if they might be ancient, because they're just going to be ours. Because like you say, you, Medusa is on your thigh right now. And that is some some way that like not literally if anyone's freaking out but <laughs> but you you've got that for your reasons and that that speaks to you in some way so you, you know you've already taken something mythological monstrous myth and, and made it your own which I think is how we should be doing it mm-hmm. yeah I mean she's she's my monster in that respect but if we're you know like monsters generally I, I've always loved them chimera is I think probably He's my favorite good. in terms of the just like the Randomness. more traditional monsters i do love the hecatonchires because yes is it because you can say them it? It, yes <laughs> yes i love the word how many but years also... did it you to be able to say it because i'm still working on it oh no that one came naturally no i it's one of the words i explicitly remember from my undergrad mythology courses in a way that like I don't remember many. Like I think I remember. I remember Hecatonchires. I remember that my prof pronounced it Uranus to make it not sound like okay. the planet Uranus in North yeah. America. We like to say that Uranus works yeah. too. Anything you know, make it sound more serious. All these different things. But yeah, no Hecatonchires are. I just like imagining them. I like to think, okay, mm. you're really, really thought up a creature that is sometimes volcanic as well. Um, that that really just had a hundred hands and fifty heads. That makes sense, right? Yeah. And it just like really okay. Somebody just thought that up and just said, "Yeah, there there are three of them." Well, we're back to the guy. On, we're back. We're back to the guy on the rock, aren't we? Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I think I I, I can never. Any time anyone asks me my favorite, the the only other favorite I've got is the Minotaur. Mm. so like I mean I just love I just love obviously uh, the Chimera but I do also really love the Minotaur and in fact I'm working on a novel uh, now about the Minotaur mm. but what's interesting about the Minotaur is we don't have that much stuff written about him mm-hmm. there's so much about your favourite guy Theseus <laughs> <laughs> your oh bestie. my love <laughs> I know how much you're into him before you pretend come on now um <laughs> I think he protests so much that it's actually got a massive crush on him. That's why I think what's going on. I think it's my love of Athens coming through. That's what I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll admit to that. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, there's so obviously I get why, you know, it's very, I get why we hear so much about Theseus and not the Minotaur. Um, and he always just seems like this, it, it saddens me, his story, because he always just seems like this kind of footnote mm-hmm. um, in stories and he never really gets his, his own agency, which is what I'm trying to change. But, he fascinates me. I mean, there is a little bit here about him maybe being uh, the description of of earthquakes and his bellowings mm. in the uh, in the labyrinths. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I like I like that. I do like that. But you know, I think that that's not necessarily prolific. The number of people that might describe him in that way. But I just I find it interesting because I think he's quite Frankenstein esque. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to put it that way, like he's he's this. He's one of the few monsters that we, and there are obviously other examples, of course, but I'm just saying one, one of, uh, I guess, a select number of monsters that have human ancestry as well as mm-hmm. beast-like ancestry. Um, 
And I just find that really interesting. What I find so fascinating about him and his human ancestry is that while he's one of a few that has it, as far as I know, he is the singular ancient monster that like one is singular in that way with human attributes, but also specifically is top half animal bottom half human yeah and i think that makes him really special because he has all the monstrous qualities of his top half but also Mm. that human bit so he's so different Mm. from like a centaur or something you know in that way and was created so specifically for sure and someone asked me in fact it was my husband he asked me the other day he said are centaurs monsters if not why not and i was just like that's Mm. that's a great question because Mm -hmm. they are animal human hybrids you know they they they're a bit naughty uh Mm -hmm. you can say um and i was like well what elements do they not have there you know i guess it's this kind of perpetual threat that Mm -hmm. that, that we kind of connect to the monster they were pretty threatening though because other than they were they were Mm. yeah they were they were violent they came through they almost kind of represent like marauders in a way you know like yeah tearing through town but we don't consider them monsters. We don't put them with monsters, mm-hmm. do we? As as the as the, in, within could. the genre. Well, well you're yeah. right. This is why I think it's really yeah. interesting because why yeah. do we not? I mean, yeah. again, someone w- there will be some academic work out there, some some, some, some yeah. secondary school source work that's on this that I just don't know. But because you know their character, they do display, as you say, the marauding nature, the threat, mm-hmm. the kind of you know, oddity about their appearance. Uh, animal human hybrid like vibes mm-hmm. that are going on but they're not are they and actually like you say you yeah. have the, the the connection with current wisdom sometimes you know so it's a bit of a weird yeah. one isn't it um well uh, the the interesting thing about the the one bit of the knowledge aspect the chiron of it all is that he while he is a centaur is typically depicted as a like it's almost as if he's a different type of centaur. Like he has mm-hmm. a different birth story than the others. He's not yeah. born of the same way. And in art, he's often depicted. Have you seen these where he's not a traditional centaur? He is like full man with a horse's backside coming off of his back. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm not going to lie. I'm not an expert on the centaurs. It's not something I've looked at, but that is definitely getting Googled in a minute. Yeah, because so it's Crazy. great. It's only Chiron. And so they really often in both art and text sources make a real point of separating him from the others. The others right. are monstrous. The others attack. The others war with Heracles, like all those different things. The others are bad and Chiron is good. And so they give him yeah a different birth story, a different like storyline broadly and specifically in art often, not always, but often. <laughs> He's full man to the point where the first thing you are going to wonder if you are a real human when you look at this art is, does that mean he has two penises? And I think the answer is yes. Yeah. Let's just say it's yes anyway. It's a bit like when I was making up stuff about the Cyclops and his eye. Like, let's just, sometimes (laughs) it's fun just to make whatever kind of conclusion you fancy. And as long as you're explicit about that, that's fine. And I think your Cyclops <laughs> thing still almost works. Like, I think what it is, is more so, I think it came later, but I think they probably still were like seeing craters and then maybe connecting with the Cyclops in that way. You know, like it can yeah. still work even if it didn't start it, but rather came after the fact. Like all of these yeah, things are yeah, still yeah. working 
like in such close relation to each other because mm. everything is developing over so many hundreds and then thousands of years of of like this evolution but also just you know just the growing nature of these people and the way they changed over all that time like it's just for sure but that's what makes it so cool yeah exactly it makes it so cool because it's yeah like you'll never pin it like the monster you'll never really pin it down (laughs) we're never we're never gonna just get to the end of that is the definite answer forever and ever and ever about this particular topic theme whatever (laughs) my monster whatever you want it's always gonna be like oh another idea another idea and I that's what's I mean I guess you know I guess all subjects are like let's be real you know even scientists it's like this Mm -hmm. is the point that we're at now and then we evolve we research we do things and we, we go further we go further so you know but you know I do love that about about monsters and what I really enjoy is you know as we as we progress as people even today things that we're interested today you get these new revisions and and kind of you know interpretations of things obviously I know you've spoken to a number of excellent authors that are working in the field where they're you know they're they're doing their own storytelling they're taking this mythological canon and they're turning their turning into their own thing but I love that. To me, it's so poetic because that's what the Greeks did and that's what people are doing again. And Mm -hmm. I I love that. I love that because anyone, you know, your work as well, anything, anytime you're taking mythical inspiration and making it your own, you are doing what the Greeks intended because that's what people did. That's what it was about. And I I think if anyone ever, you know, sometimes these things come with the fire, don't they? Because, oh, well, (laughs) you haven't really represented it properly and oh, there's all this nuance that you haven't included. I'm like, no, stuff that, because this is actually what the Greeks want you to do. So I'm just going to do what they want. You know, you're not saying here's everything ever written on a topic, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not 100% factually. There's a bit of artistic license, but I love that. I love that. And I think that's how we should be doing myth in general. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, taking it and making it our own. Yeah. Well, and my favorite thing to do, these days and thankfully my listeners seem to like it also is like to also often revisit myths that I covered five years ago on the show because just like mythology like I have changed a lot in five years and my ability Mm. to research and provide that nuance and and all these different things like has grown so much and so like they really are completely timeless you know like you're always going to discover something new you're always going to find some new contextual like historical thing that adds layers to it like the more I understand the ancient world the more I understand the mythology in a way that makes me so fucking happy just like all the time because the yeah, sure. every time I learn something new it, it you know something opens up in my mind I just recently spoke to Stephanie McCarter on the show who's just translated Ovid metamorphoses cool. so she's like the first woman to translate it in 60 years and she went into it with wow. like feminist ideals and looking at you know what other translators have and have not done and oh it's just so exciting you know and and even just talking to somebody about that process of translation opens up so many new avenues of thought and so many new ways to understand a source and it's just like yeah yeah yeah, it's just it's endless well yeah I mean even in my work in the media you know like this is my voice that people hopefully still listen to I haven't like turned off by now but this (laughs) is my voice my take it's from my personal background. You know, I grew up in a very poor part of London. We didn't have anything. Single parent. I'm mixed race. I say those things not for any particular reason, except for those are the things that feed into who I am, partly. And all I ever do with classes, this is my voice, my take. This is my view of something. This is why you know, I have this view because it's I'm bringing my experience right to it. 
And my aim, and I know it's the same as yours, is in our subject, just getting plurality of voices, getting as many people from different backgrounds speaking about it so that we represent the classical world in a way that others can understand it. That's what we're all about, right? It's just, this is, mm-hmm. I'm speaking to people. Some people listening to this are going to be thinking, not my cup of tea, and other people are going to be thinking, this really speaks to me. The way that this person is speaking about classics is making me feel like I want to do more. And that's what we're trying to do, I think. Um, so, it, it, and also in academic and scholarly work, when these people are bringing, bringing their take on it, it's so valuable because no one is saying, here is the final answer, as we said at the beginning of this chat. You know, this isn't the final take on this, but this is something that I'm bringing to the table now in this present moment with my experience, with my whatever it might be. Uh, and hopefully it contributes to a wider range of uh, of voices in this subject. So anyone that's doing that and beating their own drum, I mean, that's just awesome. And I hope that people are enjoying it. And they obviously are, Liv, because you're doing a great job with your podcast. So there you go. Well, thank you. <laughs> no, but I think... I think my show and yours and and all of that really proves how much people do want to learn about this stuff. And and one thing I've learned over these years is like they don't just want to hear the stories. You know, they they do they are interested in learning the more nitty gritty side, the the like like yeah. you know the the really nerdy stuff that's underneath that you don't really learn as just like a regular person interested in this topic and that's why like talking to people like you and like all the other academics that I've had on my show is always so exciting because it brings this whole new realm of myth and the ancient Mediterranean to people who who aren't studying it and so therefore like really have no access point I mean I barely have an access point into the academic side and I've been doing this for five years and I'm like a name in it and I'm still like I don't know where to begin learning about the more academic aspects, the more like, Mm. you know, little pieces that don't make it out into the wider world because they're only published in books that are like a hundred bucks and intended for university libraries only. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. 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 So getting that stuff out there is just, it's so important, but also like so valuable and people legitimately want to learn it. And I think that is the coolest thing. Yeah, so we should just thank everyone that listens to you or me. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> and continues and to support it, right? Because thank God for them. Uh, absolutely. You. You're, part, you're, part, you're such a big part of this. Um, yeah, and also keep me with a career, I think. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's why, like, with my with my podcast, the whole, the whole, I guess, content of it, not content, what's the word I want? The whole um, format, that's the word. Mm. Oh, my God, what a long day. The whole format <laughs> of my podcast it is... I just think from somebody that came at it as an adult, I started classics at 18. So I was like, mm, I don't know what this is. And I was like, a oh, random choice. Go do that. Loved it. Stayed there. The thing that I not have, and in my 22 years in the subject in all sorts of different ways, what I've understood is that we need to go to the people, not trying to always get the people to come to us. So mm-hmm. there's a tendency, certainly here in the UK, where it's like, you know, I'm going to do a thing about Roman soldiers and then people will just come to that. And it's like, well, of course, some people do. You know, you get people that are like, yeah, great, great. That's fun. That's great. But I'm, I'm kind of up for the people that are like, T- you tell me why I should come. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's why in my podcast, the format is a non-specialist. They're a UK celebrity and they come on and they know something about a topic like wine. And then I talk about ancient wine and they talk about wine and we we look over topics that we're interested in today, like people mm. being teatotal. Um, 25% of Brits are teetotal today. Um, and there are loads of reasons mean? why, but we uh, teetotal, don't, don't drink. 
Oh, okay. What do you call that in, in Canada? Don't drink. Okay. So good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I've like boat. heard that term before, but never as like a no, uh, you, like a yeah, thing no, that people can be. Good to know. No, it's good to know. So teetotalers are people that do not drink alcohol. Um, no. So it was like twenty five percent of of young you know British people don't drink, and it's like well that's a I guess a bit of a trend, and some of those reasons are health related, of course. But also it's like then we looked at like what ancient Greek and Roman authors said about teetotalers, and I trust me, you can imagine <laughs> it yeah. weren't that great. But also like what do you what do you drink? If you can't drink, if you don't drink wine in the ancient world, like literally nothing. What do you can't drink, drink milk. Can't drink. You can't milk. Even drink like water. There's no really, oat milk though. either. Can't do. Can't do lactose intolerance or anything back then. Neither could you. What <laughs> did wild. you drink? Well, water's probably going to kill you off, isn't it? Yeah, you exactly. It so like you're not. Even, you're not even drinking water. What are you doing? <laughs> you have to just get on with it. You haven't got a choice. You have to get on with it. You can't just go. Right, I'm going to go get a diet coke. This sucks. You've got. You've got to get on with it, haven't you? That's um, wild. Good yeah. question. Maybe, maybe someone. I mean, the wine stuff was really interesting because actually, yeah. I don't know. Do you drink wine, Liv? Are you a wine drinker? Oh my yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, wicked. So, I used to live in New Zealand. So when I lived there, I got oh, particularly into wine, wine because it's like you know, yeah, oh, New Zealand. That's if you're from New Zealand. Oh my god, well New done. Zealand white but, wine. Well, one type is my favorite thing in the whole world. Yeah, exactly. And I'm a white wine. I'm not. I'm not a red wine drinker. It's not my style. Mm. So I'm always like white and fizzy and and pink. So this was really interesting. This was really interesting because I'm thinking like, what is it like, what is it in the call, like the taste of wines that I'm interested in? Like, what do I like? Yeah. And what was it like for them? And we were, I don't know if you, cause I know again, you don't, you don't talk as much about Roman stuff, but they had this, this wine called Molson, which is like this sort of like Swedish sort of weirdness, like vinegary sweet. I don't really know. I can't really understand what it tastes like. Vinegary sweet. Oof. Yeah, I, I think, now I think they sweetened it. The, the, the cheaper you went, the sweeter right. it got because I had to try yeah. and make it taste. I, I, get, like I think the base taste. of it is, yeah. It, yes, exactly. We, <laughs> did, did you have Lambrini? Did you know what that is? No. Lambrini. This might be a very British thing. It also might be a very I'm nearly 40 thing. <laughs> but there was this fizzy drink called Lambrini that's like a like a I don't know what the alcohol contains, but it's like this super sweet white wine. And I think it was literally like the lowest alcohol ever, but when you were like fifteen, you were like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we I'm have those. Drink. I'm yeah. I'm not saying that I was drinking at fifteen in case someone tells the police on me, but I just mean like generically. You're British, you know, isn't that fine? <laughs> Probably. Dunno. Don't want to knock at the door. Um anyway, so it looks like that the white like kind of like just the taste of wine. And I love doing that because I'm learning at the same time. I got a little wine lesson out of that one. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And we were talking about the trend for organic wines and basically how every wine would have been organic in the Roman, yeah. Greek and Roman period and and people wanting to go back to that and how that affects taste and production. And, oh, I learned so much. So yeah. kind of love all that, that kind of way of learning, really, because I'm learning at the same time because I really am because mm -hmm. I'm talking to someone. I've just recorded one actually on thrillers and there's a little bit of monsters in there that I tried not to talk Ooh. about for 500 hours on, um, <laughs> which is not easy, but yeah. So, but that's one minute I'm doing monsters, something that I, you know, this is one of my things. This is one of my specialisms. I really enjoy it. But then the next minute I'm talking about wine and Liv, I don't know anything about ancient wine. I had to research all of that, talk to the academics in the field, revise that and find these little, I guess, talking points that I thought would be really interesting. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a good learning curve. I enjoy it. I enjoy doing it. It's, it's good fun. 
Yeah. I, I mean, that's what I love about my conversations generally is how much I learn. Um, obviously, it's usually like really specific topics in my field. But but even at the same time, like, I mean, one, obviously, academics teach me a million things when I talk to them. But also, there's something about having a conversation like this where you get out new theories and things, you know, just by by saying them out loud to another person and, and like sharing your different thoughts on it is so fascinating because you really do get so much more out of it. Um, than you do just like thinking about it on your own you know like yeah it's such a perfect way to learn <laughs> maybe you should rename the podcast like lives ancient therapy sessions or something where people can come <laughs> and offload about about whatever particular theory they're struggling with or, or what have you because it, it mean, sometimes feels like that <laughs> Oh, yeah. And and like at, at this point, you know, my guests rarely come on to talk about myths. So it's like, oh, God, I need a new <gasps> podcast name. Generally, this show has grown so much like I still do myths on the scripted episodes. But otherwise, I'm just like, do you have something about the ancient Mediterranean that you want to tell me about? <laughs> Great. Come on the show. I am not picky. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, you think we're doing that? Let's talk about stuff, baby. Let's talk about the ancient Mediterranean uh, history, mythology, uh, everything. Can you imagine what's wrong when people are typing in or typing in? They're not like, you know, it's not a typewriter, you know, looking for it. Like, I can't be bothered. <laughs> this is far too much. You need something short and snappy like legit classics. Do you, have you got any Latin? Do you know any Latin or you, is it Greek? That minimal. You have? Minimal. And I, okay, well, I don't so have either language. So legit is like it's a it's a play on words because it's from Lego to choose. So literally, she chooses classics. Uh, also, I don't know if you know the word legit is a very like I, I guess yeah. London, like you know. No, I know the word. I know the word means that we all know what the word legit means, legitimate. Yeah. But it's a very like London, like oh, it's legit. It's like very a London way of talking as well. So we do that. I was too. a bit. Pr- I mean, I had some 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 clangers written down before that. I mean, I'll have to <laughs> dig them out to tell you, but they were not good. Some of them. I think it was Rome wasn't built in a day. I thought because mm, that could be interesting. Um, but there was oh there was some really good ones. I have to say I'll have to look at my my notes to find out what's on them. But yeah, it was legit classics in the end because I quite liked it. I uh, had a grand total of one podcast title idea, and it is this. <laughs> it is the end result. I put in absolutely no thought and absolutely did not consider what it would be like to tell people that my podcast was named this for the next five years (laughs) you weren't expecting such success so but then I I I know you sometimes like to sing it don't you you sometimes like to I I only sing sing it in the intro yeah when I'm alone (laughs) (laughs) so you're not gonna do it now for me then (laughs) no 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 thank you so much for having me on and and I mean it like, you know, from someone starting out, like I'm so impressed by your, without sounding like patronizing, I don't mean that in any way, but like your commitment and the day, like I said, the days where you have to keep going and, and the fact that you've built this on your own, it's just phenomenal. Thank you so much for coming on because it's been so much fun and it's so exciting. And and thank you for saying such nice things about my show because it means a lot. Some days I really need that reassurance that like it, there is a point to me having to push through because trying to write something there funny. Is when you feel like shit is very difficult sometimes. I know. So. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. But yeah, th- thank you so much. But why don't you uh, tell my listeners where they can find your show and anything more about you, whatever you want to share. So if you want to listen to Legit Classics, it's on all the major providers. So you can find it on Apple and Spotify. And, you know, I've got a link tree as well. So obviously I'm on social media. And my, my little tag name is um legit classicist or just jasmine elmer when you look me up on instagram twitter that sort of thing um 
watch me on telly if you're in the UK and if not the UK National Geographic the same program is on there so go and enjoy that that was about Pliny the Elder um in a wider episode about um Herculaneum and new finds so it was really awesome so it's also really cool like I'm gonna find that brains turning into glass and stuff like that so yeah hopefully come see me there be nice to to meet some new people on my you know listening to my show yeah well i will link to everything in the episode's description so they can find it all and yeah everyone please go listen to jasmine's podcast because that's so much fun (sighs) thanks darling Uh, nerds, nerds, nerds. Gods, I love these conversations. They're fun for me. They're fun for you. We all get to learn a load of new things. Truly, such a thrill. It was so fun having Jasmine on to talk all things monsters and to share in my love for not only volcanoes, but the chimera. Because who doesn't love a fire-breathing goat sticking off of a lion's back? Boring people. That's who. Thank you all for listening. As always, it's the best. You can follow Jasmine on Twitter and check out her podcast, Legit Classics, wherever you listen to this one. There's a link to her Twitter in this episode's description. And well, I have a quick note about uh, next week's episode too. We're doing something a little different due to some scheduling things, but well, you're going to love it and I'm going to keep it to be a bit of a surprise. So just wait. We're going to finish off spooky season with a bang. (sighs) Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians. Honestly, Michaela handles so much. She is a lifesaver and is always taking on more. And I, (sighs) she's the best decision I ever made hiring that one. Stephanie Foley works to transcribe the podcast for YouTube captions and accessibility. The podcast is hosted and monetized by Acast. Help me continue bringing you the world of Greek mythology and the ancient Mediterranean by becoming a patron where you'll get bonus episodes and more. Visit patreon.com slash mythsbaby or check the link in this episode's description. You're all nerdy and cool. Thank you for being here. I am Liv and I love this shit. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. 
Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. 